Okay, well, good morning again. I have always wanted to preach through the whole book of Romans, and we will probably do that at some point, but we, we only have a few weeks until uh, we're into another sermon series. And so um, I wanted us to look at basically Romans 7 and 8, and we're going to preach through that, uh, you know, verse by verse for the next uh, about six weeks or so. Uh, so we're starting that new series, and the reason that we're doing that is because it's an incredible passage of Scripture. It uh, really gets at the heart of what we believe, uh, you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, and the, uh, the resources that we have at our disposal because of Christ and, and what He's done. It's a passage of Scripture that is full of hope, that's full of life, and I, I believe it speaks to our cultural moment right now. And so we are going to look this morning at Romans uh, chapter 7, verse 7 through the end of the chapter. And then next week we'll, we'll look at the first few verses of chapter 8. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul is getting at this universal question that if we're honest, every single one of us has struggled with. Why do we do the things we're not supposed to do? Why do we even do the thing we don't want to do? Or why can't we stop from doing these things that internally we know we're not supposed to do, we know are not good for us, but we keep doing them? I don't know if Stella is too young to pick on. I mean, she's not even two years old, but she keeps giving me these great examples. So I'm going to pick on her, and you know, later on we can tell her. But it's probably too young to make her a sermon example. But she keeps messing with the houseplants. I mean, Lily's got these beautiful houseplants that she's trying to, you know, nurture. And she thinks it's a game to go over there and pick at them and tear them apart. And then we, you know, we tell her she can't do it. But it's just a game. And she kind of grins at us in that cute way. Like, yeah, I know I'm doing something bad. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to keep doing it. And, you know, if you, if you carry her out of the room, then it's just World War III. You know, just huge, huge fight, crying, tears, kicking, the whole thing. And the more we try to help her as parents, you know, the worse it gets. But it doesn't matter if you're a baby or a grown-up. All of us try to do these things that we've been told. Don't do that. No, don't try that. That's not, that's not going to be good for you. That's not going to be helpful. Every single person's in that predicament, and everybody has that, that battle that Paul is describing. And you know, most of this passage is uh, it's full of questions. It's full of kind of complaining about the way that we are as human beings. And then we get to the last line, and we see good news. We see salvation. We see deliverance. We see that Jesus Christ is the one that can rescue us, that can deliver us, that can save us. So this morning we're going to look at the two ways that he delivers us, that he saves us, so that we can say, like Paul said, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, for all that he's done for us. Jesus Christ has saved us from the law, from having to be perfect, from having to keep the law perfectly. He saves us from that, and he also saves us from ourselves and from the confusion and, and from our wanting to earn it ourselves. So those are the two things we're going to look at because this is what Paul writes about. In verses 7 to 12, he talks about how Jesus delivers us from the, from the law. And verses 12 to the end of the chapter, he shows how Jesus can deliver us from ourselves and from our own bad desires and things that hurt us. So Paul begins by saying, you know, the law is a blessing. The law is a blessing. Why is it a blessing? Because it actually holds up a mirror to our face and says this is what you are like. 
we, we don't know what sin is until we know the law, until we know a higher authority, until we know someone that's created the universe and ordered us to live in a certain way. And so that's why it's a wise, it's a wise idea to raise your children with discipline and to give them a structure and to show them you know, cause and effect. Because when we live in, when we live in this idea of you know, kind of anything goes, make it up as you go along, that's not freedom. That's actually what's, what's killing us. Children feel safer in this environment where there's structure, where they know that there's discipline, where they know that there's right and wrong, and there's a way to do things. And yet, and yet, and this is what Paul lays out in verses 8 to 12, if we try to keep the law perfectly, it slays us. It kills our soul. It shows us how far we have to go and how far we, we are away and that we'll never, never get there by ourselves. You know, a lot of people, I hear this all the time, a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm not so bad. I'm not a terrible person. I'm not a murderer. And, you know, Mother Teresa's up here and, you know, I'm, I'm here, you know. People are forgetting that the standard is perfection, that the standard is the sky. <laughs> All of us, no matter how, how good we are, no matter how righteous we try to be, or even how religious we try to be, none of us can fulfill the law. And you know what it does? It just has us always wondering, am I good enough? Did I do enough today? Did I do enough to tip the scales in my favor? You know, you have to be, if you're going to live by the law, if you're going to keep the law, you have to be the golden child. You have to be the one that everybody expects you to be. You have to be, you know, the good employee. I'm the one that's always here early. I'm the one that stays late. I'm better at my job than so-and-so. And that kind of thinking actually drives us crazy because we're never we'll never be good enough to earn our way to God and yet isn't it isn't it amazing that he loves us exactly as we are just as we are with all of our failings all of our hang-ups all of our doubts and struggles a lot of us read the Bible in one year and the reading on Friday was titled God is nice and he likes you. And it told a story about a person who was a follower of Jesus for 20 years before it really touched their heart. God is nice and he likes me. It's true. It's true. He likes us just as we are. And we'll never measure up to that standard. But Jesus fulfilled that for us. Jesus fulfilled the law by living this perfect life and now, we don't throw the law out. We live the law as out of a sense of gratitude and thankfulness for all that he's done. And that's why Brenda did that reading this morning. That's why in every morning service we have at Park Lane, we confess our sins. We admit that we're not perfect. We admit that we need God's grace. We hear 
the assurance that we've been forgiven, that the one who delivers us is Jesus. And then that third part, the law as, our, as the way that we live in gratitude for all that he's done. The verse before what we looked at this morning, verse 6 of Romans 7, it says, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. We walk with the Spirit. We love our neighbors as ourselves, because that's what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. So Paul first, in, in, these first, in these verses 7 through 14, he says that trying to outbehave the law, trying to live up to it, that's what kills us. But looking to Jesus brings true freedom. What, what a year 2020 has been. What a year... Uh, you know, for me personally, I turned 40 this year, so I just keep thinking, what a year to turn 40. What a year to see a lot of my friends and my peers, you know, go through their midlife crisis in 2020 with so much going on. People, uh, you know, leaving, uh, leaving jobs, leaving churches, leaving marriages, um, just people disgruntled, people upset, people angry, people desperate for a change, desperate for something deeper. And I just wonder, I wonder if a lot of that has to do with trying to be something that we're not. Trying to live up to the law of God, you know, trying to live up to the Ten Commandments, trying to live up to what the Bible teaches us. Or, you know, there's another law too, and that's the law of the culture, the law of expectations, the law of, you know, never messing up, never speaking a, 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 a wrong word. And that's just as strict Religion or culture, they set up these, these laws and these expectations and you cannot turn from them or you're out. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying burn down the whole system. I'm not saying throw out the Ten Commandments. I'm saying Jesus has already lived this perfect life. He's already lived it for me and for you and I can't do it. So, I get to trust in his grace. I get to trust that he has done it. And that frees me. That frees me from every expectation, from all the external pressure, from the anxiety. It frees me to just live as God created me to live. And that is freedom. To walk in him to say, Lord, you have lived this perfect life and you have invited me to live as your child in the freedom of that, in the freedom that love brings. Paul says, if we try to live perfectly, if we try to measure up to God, if we try to earn our way to, into God's love, it burns us out. It slays us. It kills us because we can't be perfect. And then Paul continues and looks at these next nine verses where he says that, Jesus, thanks be to God, Jesus, he even delivers us from ourselves. And Paul gets, Paul gets uh, introspective here. 
he gets a little bit uh, psychological. He looks at the emotional life and, and the way that we act. He is, uh, he's vulnerable in sharing his struggles. You know, it begs the question, do you understand why you do the things you do? Do you know why and what your true motivations are underneath it all? Why do we have the same issue that Paul has 2,000 years later of, you know, the angel on one shoulder, the devil on the other? Culture always, you know, there's all these movies and culture kind of explains it to us in that way or sort of the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing. We have trouble doing the things we actually want to do, the things we know are good for us. And we have trouble quitting the things we know aren't good for us. We don't do the things we're supposed to do. And Paul's explaining, you might say the psychological powers, but you could also say the spiritual powers that are at work inside of us, that are warring against us all the time. Paul is pointing out this problem that every human being and every culture suffers from, that we can't save ourselves. That the things inside of us, sometimes they deceive us. They point us in a wrong direction. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. The Heidelberg Catechism tells us that we increase our guilt every day. And yet God, God doesn't want people to be eternally lost. God doesn't want people to, to exist without him. So he sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus lived perfectly in our place. And he defeated sin. And he defeated death once for all. Paul ends this, um, this little diatribe, this lament at the state of his own life and his own mind by saying, what a wretched man I am. And I don't know if that inspired John Newton to write Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But it's an interesting connection. You can say anything bad about me because I say worse about myself every Sunday morning. I'm a wretch that needs saving. I need his amazing grace to come into my life because I can't keep the law and I can't save myself. We acknowledge the truth about ourselves. When we're singing those hymns, when we're praying those prayers, we're acknowledging the truth about ourselves and that is actually the way out. To say what Paul said in 1 Timothy that I am a sinner in need of grace. What a wretch I am. That, that admission, that moment of surrender, that solves a million problems. When we lay down our weapon and when we surrender. And yet it's so, it's so hard to, to live it out. It's so hard to live in that place because it's, it's about doing what, what Paul did to a certain extent. It's about being vulnerable, being honest, asking for accountability when you need it, finding mentors to break out of this cycle, this cycle that's always saying, you're not good enough, 
You messed up today. You didn't keep the law. You did the thing you said you wouldn't do. You lost your temper. You did all these things. All of this is solved by the gospel. All of it is solved by this admission that we are sinners in need of grace because it's not, it's not Jesus that's condemning us. It's not Jesus that, that is critical of us. That is our own flesh or that is the evil one reminding us of the old life that we've left behind. Jesus isn't ashamed of us. He's inviting us to surrender, to trust in him. He's throwing the lifeline out to us. You're not going to save yourself by keeping the law. You're not going to save yourself by figuring out everything that's going on in your mind. And that's, that's why Paul writes, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for Jesus, because that's the rescue. That's the deliverance from this wrestling match that constantly goes on. I have a friend named, named James, and he was, he was a lot like Paul. He dealt with this issue of coveting. You know, he wanted things. He wanted stuff. He especially wanted companionship, and he wanted a woman. And he married six of them, not at the same time, one after the other. And the relationships just kept falling apart because you can't covet another human being and expect that to work. You can't look to them as your possession and as your prize, you know, to manipulate or to control. Coveting, like Paul says, creates all kinds of issues. And the lie, the lie of the devil is that once we get the thing we covet, we'll be happy. Well, my friend learned it, it doesn't work like that. And the woman that he met after wife number six introduced him to Jesus. And at that point, his life went from a battle that he couldn't win, like Paul's describing. It went from that to a battle that he can't lose. Because when you trust in Christ, when you look to him to deliver you, you cannot lose the ultimate battle. And living a life of love became his motivation. You know, not to earn it. Not to earn his way to God, but to show God I am grateful for such an incredible rescue that you've given me. I looked my whole life to these other things and they always let me down. But Jesus delivered me, gave me what I always searched for. And my friend went to be with the Lord a couple weeks ago. And I think in that moment, in that instant when he saw Jesus, he realized that the journey was worth it that it was all worth it. That God's rescue, that the, the rescue of Jesus changed everything. Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, when we 
when we understand the gospel, when we understand how much you've delivered us from, there's nothing we can say except thank you. There's nothing we can do except surrender our lives and ask you to fill us with gratitude, ask you to show us how to live in love toward you and those around us. Lord, I want to... I want to see my own sin, Lord, but I want to see that you are a much, much greater Savior. And that whatever I'm going through, whatever my friends here are going through, you've rescued us. You've delivered us. You've thrown us a lifeline. We are thankful to you for all that you've done, all that you've given us. You've laid down your very life for us that we might live. Lord, show us how to do that. Fill us with your spirit so that we can walk in your ways this week and always. We ask this in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen.